You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. Taking the time in your book to show us all of the details of how um, Christianity has mostly been behind, uh, quote, boarding schools for children through Canada and the United States. I was blown away. This is an unregulated space. Even the regulations that are supposedly there, there's loopholes. So a lot of uh, states uh, have strong religious exemption laws that uh, basically just allow these organizations, any religion really, to skirt around child abuse law and uh, other laws. Uh, so, yeah, it's there's giant holes in a lot of our legislation, unfortunately. Trigger warning. Some people may find topics discussed in this episode difficult. Please proceed with caution. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 57 of Frankie Files podcast. I'm Frankie Tease. Today, our guest for our fifth Tuesday interview is author Brett Harper. He's a young man from Oregon who gruesomely was shoved into two different institutions by adoptive parents. His story is a cautionary tale from first a group home called West Coast Academy in Oregon, where he lived and went off site to a Christian school. And then later, he was kidnapped and taken out of state to Missouri, where he had the bad fortune to go to Agape boarding school. There was no off-site school, but a Christian school on premise indoctrination was complete. His first book was released in 2022, and his second book just came out after our interview, but before we published this episode. So it's out now. Both are bundled on Amazon, should you choose to educate yourself in his easy-to-read, highly densely informative book about his story, The Laws of Troubled Teen Industry and These Boarding Schools, the history of how these facilities came to be in the United States, and why we need to change the way they do business. So much is here in our conversation. Please share this spectacular interview of author of the two books, Spare the Rod, A Troubling Look at the Troubled Teen Industry. That's book one. And book two, Spare the Rod, The War Rages On, out now. His injuries sustained by school staff, the lack of support available, the activism and details of who owns and runs these places is information I'm happy to get out there. He states in his book, putting your life on blast isn't exactly fun or glamorous, but the survivors who have decided to do that are brave and I count myself as one of them. Harper says, I don't do this because I enjoy the attention. I hope that by finally coming forward with all the details, some of which are very personal and painful, and by publishing them, that I can help unite people against child abuse neglect, and exploitation and prevent other children from having to live every day with the terrible memories that produce mental illness like anxiety, severe depression, PTSD, 
or damaging phobias, night terrors, etc., end quote. Harper's going to take us through his experience, how it happened, and what life circumstances brought him to be pegged as troubled. He, like many teens, have nothing to do with the situation. Most, quote, troubled teens are born into a loveless, quote, family, something they had no choice about. So hang on and prepare for the moving tale of this author-activist we are proud to present to you in this Fifth Tuesday interview. I give you Brett Harper. I'm super, super excited to have you. Thank you. First, tell us the title and where we can um, send people to get the download. It's incredibly informative. If you want to report on TTI, Troubled Teen Industry, uh, Brett will give you a lot of details to quote. So it's a really pivotal book. Um, it's on Amazon, on Kindle. Um, it's uh, Spare the Rod, a troubling look at uh, the troubled teen industry. There's a Kindle edition. It's it's uh, free on Kindle Unlimited. Um, and then it's $9.99 for the paperback or I think $4.99 to buy the Kindle edition. So yeah, it's yeah, it's up there. That's the Spare the Rod. That's the first book that I wrote last year, this last year. And then I've been working on this new book, like I said, where it really talks about, you know, all the stuff I talk about in this first book, which lays the groundwork, but also how it's ex- this kind of virus is expanding out now. Okay, Brett, I want to ask you, I want to ask you first, if it's okay, would you be able to talk about how you became an adopted uh, child? Trigger warning. Yeah, so my mom was murdered by my dad when I was six months old. So, yeah, so it's like, uh, you know, I was six months old when it happened. He murdered my mom and my grandpa um, and so my aunt, his, uh, her sister, uh, adopted me. So Sarah Rose Mishler, may she rest in peace, is my, uh, birth mom. She was 16. She was very young. He was, I think, 18 or 19. And he, uh, you know, just had a lot of problems and like, uh, you know, he, he carried out that murder. He had some weird twisted idea in his head and. And so I ended up getting adopted and uh, taken in, in uh, by it, taken in by my aunt uh, Christine Harper, who then married Bill Harper, who was a parole and probation officer for like twenty some odd years, and started a, later started a transport company uh, after he sent me to the boys' home and boarding school. Yeah. And so, as an adopted child, you live with them in what state? In Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, we've always, we lived in Oregon the whole time. So the transport was from Oregon to, uh, Oregon to Missouri. Yeah. Just to Stockton. Surrounding the Portland area, which is really liberal. People don't understand though. Oregon itself is highly Christian. Yeah. I mean, it really, there is a divide, I believe that is in a lot of states where you have the city centers, which are more liberal and then your rural communities, which seem to be more Christian. And I've noticed that I've lived in both. I've lived uh, in Prineville before I went to the boys' home and and, uh, before I went to Stockton, Missouri, to to, to Agape. I was in Prineville, Oregon, which is 
uh, high deserts it's by bend it's um very rural community very conservative community that's where my dad was a parole information officer and yeah there's a lot of christians there but then if you go to bend there's maybe a little bit more liberals kind of the same thing with portland so it's kind of what i've noticed is a lot of these bigger cities the more people get around each other they they seem to be more liberal um but but hey you know you know you learn you learned how to to cope around other cultures and how to like to to interact with people that are different from you and then when you're out in the country i don't think you get that education bill was always really abusive um verbally uh he would say you know do you want to grow up to be one of those dirt bags that are on my caseload because you know he's a parole and probation officer so he's dealing with people coming out of jail or prison they're on probation and you know he would he, he told me one time that he wished that I would have died instead of Sarah and Frank because Frank was his friend. And like, like I'm just, you know, there was a, another time where he said that he wished that he could put a hole in my head because he, and then that would shut me up. He used to choke me out and then be like, can you hear me? And like, of course, when you're getting choked, you can't respond. So like you're like turning blue. And then my mom was she would dissociate. I, I recognize now what was going on with my mom. I, I don't give her a pa- free pass on this, but she would go and cry and not let us see and try to, or try not to let us see. And, and you know, it was just a very housewife kind of feel that she wasn't allowed to have her own opinions or, or anything. Um, but yeah, they have other kids. I have siblings, um, but this, I, I never felt the same as them. And so that was always kind of weird. And then also um, on top of that, I was always kind of painted as a a problem for the family and like a problem child. And really, honestly, what it was, I recognize now is I think I had childhood PTSD for my mom and my grandpa being murdered. And I think I had and they never took me to like a psychiatrist, believe it or not. Like I never went to anybody that was professional for that my whole life. So growing up, like I had these emotional problems that they were like demonizing me for, but I was getting taken to like youth pastors and like pastors that were just making, they're just making me like, they're just like beating up on me and like always taking my parents' side. There was never any thought about my mental health really. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think eventually that just, came to a point where they figured they can't raise me and they sent me off. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. And clearly that stems from the troubled background that you had nothing to do with, which is the irony of this situation. Well, the other thing I've noticed too, and if you know, is that there's a whole attachment theory kind of thing where uh, some of that's kind of bogus, but some of it makes sense. And, and that is that the, the, the infant's going to attach the, the, the parent. Well, there was a period of time where I was in foster care. They don't know how long because they were, they were a newlywed couple getting married. And so they may have been really preoccupied and I may have not been able to bond with my mom. Uh, it, well, and that's, you know, of course my mom, not 
it wasn't the mom I was bonded to from before. So there could be some issues there that, that causes like disorganized attachment and that causes all kinds of other things, emotional problems, relationship problems later on in life. So, so there is that. So like it really would have been helpful to get in early to get some of these things diagnosed or figured out. Um, but instead they kind of went the pray it away approach or beat it out of them, beat it out of them or pray it away. It's like, pray it away. You show us about a lot about toxic masculinity in this book and the types of pressures a young man is put under is a little bit different than a girl. And it was informative to me. I didn't grow up with brothers. Um, just how your dad chose to handle your stepdad chose to handle you. Obviously, he was already uh, bringing his work home. So he was thinking discipline is the answer instead of love. Um, I, I understand they can be combined, but that's not what I saw in your story at all. Well, I found out that he worked for McLaren, too, which is a famous boys prison here. So he worked there before he worked as a parole and probation officer. So he has a long history of working in this field. Yep. Uh, Harper, for those who want to know and look into this, um, he's still in Oregon, right? Yeah, he's still out in Prineville. Uh, he's still got 40 acres out there. I don't think his transport business isn't up and running anymore, though. It, it closed officially as of last September. When I went to the group home, it was, I wasn't exactly expecting that. Um, I went to like a counseling session at my dad's work and they had my dad's work shut down over the weekend because they're only, the parole and probation office is only open Monday through Friday. And so he was able to use his office, which is probably could be illegal. Uh, he also got property, the property he bought, he bought off of uh, somebody on his caseload, which is really bad conflict of interest. I let his boss know he ended up retiring early. And I think that might've had something to do with it. But anyway, to backtrack, this guy, um, you know, came in and he was introduced as a, as a youth pastor, but that's not what he was. And that he was going to do some counseling and he just took my parents side the whole time. And then my parents said, you're going to go with him. And they'd already packed my bags. And so I didn't know. And so they, they, I got in the truck with, Tim Smith and my bags were already loaded um, in the car and I didn't know and so they said when they said that we went out and they took the the bags from the Suburban that we had and put them in the truck with Tim and Tim Smith they said you're going to go with Tim so I got in the, in the car with Tim Smith and drove up to the the boys home and the boys home was in Prineville but it was like, so I still could go to the same Christian school that I was going to, but um, it was, you know, like I would be living there. And how many boys were there? I believe there was uh, five boys. Um, there was two boys that were older, Chad and Barrett, and they'd beat up on us younger boys. And um, they were like 17 and 18. And then, uh, yeah, and it would put them in charge of us. So that, of course, because they were like, like seniority kind of idea, but they were like the worst of us. So, And this is a theme you articulate really well is how kids are pitted against other kids. It's incredibly bad. It's like Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it's, uh, it creates a crazy uh, hierarchy 
security structure in those programs where if you rat out somebody for something you're praised for it if you know uh, violence is often praised like the boxing things that they had in the group home and you were locked in a cage with a bear yes <laughs> but yeah we, they had a bear cub uh and this bear cub was, uh, I guess it had been in some commercials or something and they were, they had exotic animal license and they were able to get this bear cub and it's in a, it was in a cage. And so they thought it would be funny to put me in there and tell me I was going to have to sleep there overnight. It's like the bear suckled on my arm and it scared me. Right. But like, but they did, they did come back for me. The, the bear did get out once, which was terrifying like ripped the front door off and got into the fridge and so we had to bait it back into its cage and then there was the monkeys they got out of their cage one time there was two monkeys and they got a hold of some razor blades and then they realized that they could throw them at us and so they got up on top of the shed and started doing that and laughing at us so i mean it, there was some pretty wild moments with these animals that they probably shouldn't have had um <laughs> being away from home and this is what you're greeted with wow and this happens in boarding schools too like there was a lot of crazy animals in the board in, in agape too you know what i mean so a lot of these people have a central idea that they need to work these kids because they don't they think that adhd and add and you can read some of this stuff on their sites uh, they think that that's just a kid that needs to work more and doesn't have a good work ethic. So if you put a kid, if you make the kid a slave on a farm, you know, then he'll learn some work ethic or something. Uh, and then they, of course, they profit off of this stuff like they did at Agape. So a lot of junk removal, uh, animal uh, upkeep, uh, they, they did a lot of like us going and helping people in the community to like you know, probably get paid or something that we didn't see. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff that we did over at the other place and then the at the group home. And then there was a lot of just, there was a lot of violence between the, the kids and the group home. Um, often boys are also abused and it's something society doesn't like to talk about. I was sexually abused in a cult um, where my parent wasn't, you know, involved and they got me away from my mom. And often these are opportunities where predators lie in wait. And you had Mrs. Smith was one of those predators. And it was really shocking. Yeah, with us, with us, with us men, I think it is stigma. And I think it's, uh, it's programming to just kind of like, you know, try to not think about it or move past it. But, but the truth is that was a, that was a terrible moment. And um, I do talk about it in my book. I mean, I woke up and, and I had been taking a nap after some chores and the other kids were gone and I was alone in this back room. And when I woke up, she was undoing my pants, trying to caress me down there. And uh, I immediately knew what she was trying to do. She was gonna, you know, try and give me a blow job, give me heart or whatever and try to, you know, and like, and you know, at that time, you know, I was only 13 years old. And so like, I freaked out and I, you know, I picked up my pants and I ran out and I went underneath I hid underneath the porch underneath there and she was screaming at me that she'd kill me and if I said anything and that I was, nobody would believe me and uh, really terrifying stuff. And so I didn't say anything to Tim or anyone. 
And then when I got out, I tried to tell my dad, Bill, and of course he didn't care. So, and what they ended up uh, removing is I kept going to the school and I, like at school, I came, I went from being the new kid at school to being, you know, that was bullied to beating up on yeah. my bullies. And I got kind of in trouble a little bit because I was, I was starting to, you know, hit people back and, you know, say words I shouldn't have said, you know, um, and so I, I ended up getting in school suspension, like, it, but my, my dad didn't take me out of the, the boys home for that. He took me out because they snuck me into, uh, an R rated movie, uh, house on haunted Hill. Like you're not listening to your child, but damn, damn the, the non-Christian R rated film, get him out of there. Well, the other thing is, is that he he came to my basketball practices. So he was there and he saw me with black and blue eyes. And he saw, he heard from my teachers that I wasn't sleeping and that like I came to school tired and that, cause sometimes I didn't sleep very good because I was worried to get, get beat up in my sleep, like blanket party stuff, you know, like it's, and then some of the boys, there was an incident with the boys where, with Chad and Bear, where they tried to make me jack off a horse and it shoved my face in some horse manure and it was a pretty terrible experience. So there was that too. So, so yeah, there is sexual abuse that happens in these places that happens boy to boy. And it happens, you know, women that are there on staff or men or whoever um, has access to these kids there that are vulnerable. That stuff does, it does occur. And this is clearly why you're speaking out. Um, people need to know that in these unregulated spaces, the child's going to get harmed. And um, this is going to be their first experience. Is that what a parent would want? I doubt it. So, yeah, yeah, thank you, you know, for going there for us. Um, now, I would, I would hope not. I mean, I have a little bit of a jaded view on that. I think sometimes a lot of adopted kids like me end up in the system because maybe they don't really care as much. It's hard being a parent, but like, you know, I mean, like, can't give up. Your uh, adoptive dad, Bill, takes you out because you go to an R-rated film. An amazing, uh, strange decision there, but thank goodness. And then you think it's pretty much over because he promises that you will never be sent to another. I overheard a conversation on the phone. And on the phone, I heard him talking to somebody about a boarding school. And I flipped out. I packed what we we would call a, yeah, a bug out bag. And I, and took off. And you have to understand, like, where he lives is like 20 minutes out of Prineville. So there's nowhere to really run. You'd have to, like, ride. I ran away a couple times, and it took me, like, couple hours to get into town and find some place to run. You know, it's just like you're in the middle of nowhere. You know what I mean? And so like I had no plan. I was just scared because of the, how bad the experience was before. I was just going to run into the woods. I'd rather, I was like, I would rather starve in the woods than go back to someplace like that. And so he ran out after me and he, you know, he finally caught up with me and he, he was like, look, I'm not going to do that. I promise like that, you know, that's not what that call was about. And, and I, you know, as a kid, you want to believe your parent. And so I think there was an element of wanting to believe him. But I always was kind of like, I was kind of scared, if I remember right. And and then the incident happened where I was transported. 
You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. So, so basically what happened was I, my dad drove me home and uh, on the way back, I noticed my mom coming the other way with the Suburban. I remember this clear as day, which is really crazy, but I could see her face and I could see she was crying. And I didn't know what was going on. I said, Dad, what's wrong with Mom? Where's Mom going? And he said, oh, she's just going to go get some movies and some pizza and she'll be back. And I was like, that's funny. I remember her telling me that. And then, because that would be something that we would do as a family every once in a while, but we'd always know. So we ended up going back to the house and the screen door was flapping the wind. And I thought, that's strange. She didn't shut it. She was in a hurry or something. And so we got inside and these two transport agents came out of my bathroom and dropped these badges down to the floor. And I just, they're like, hi, yeah, we're transport agents. We're hired. We're going to take you to this boarding school for your dad. We could do this the easy way or the hard way. And I was like, and I did freeze a little bit there. And I was like, okay, I'll do it the easy way. They're like, okay, good. Get dressed. We'll be out here. Don't try anything. And you know, I was thinking to myself, well, I've tried to run away before, and my dad had the whole police department and probably the whole state looking for me, and I was, it was pretty quick that I was caught. So I don't want to, I was like, he'll have somebody in the bushes, so I might as well just make this easier on myself. So I knew that if I tried to run, it would be pointless. So, well, yeah, they uh, handcuffed me, they... Uh, they said they could take the handcuffs off if I behaved, so I did. And uh, eventually they put a leg brace on me so I could go through the airport because you can't handcuff somebody and take them on a plane. So they were like, if you resist, we'll have to take you in a van, and that'll take a lot longer. And so I, I just went along with it. Yeah, I had this leg brace. What's a, what's a leg brace look like? What's that? Uh, it basically locks up your legs so you can't run. It's, it's, it's on the one leg. Yeah. But, but it would be for like, if you like, like had a severe injury to your leg and you, so that way you can't run and they, they, you know, they gotcha. Uh, and then my dad, when he started his transport business, he would do things like that. He would hire off duty cops that would then take kids that way and, uh, get they would get paid quite a bit of money to fly these kids to these programs out of these uh, more liberal states. So, well, when I got to Agape, they, their transport agents have been trying to, you know, kind of butter me up, probably because they didn't want any issues. And so they were like, yeah, you're going to go to this place and it's going to be co-ed and it's really nice and... You know, it's going to be like, you'll, you'll like it, you know, and like, you'll want to stay there. There's a pool and like all of this stuff. And, and what they said, like a lot of stuff they said was true, but not like, you know, it wasn't co-ed and, it, and it's not a nice place. And there's a pool, but we had a pool when I was there and, uh, you know, we, we did, a, we, we did get to go swimming and, and play basketball sometimes like those were very rare moments. Most of the time you're out working or doing schoolwork or memorizing scripture or in chapel or getting screamed at or, but uh, when I first got there, it was, uh, it was football camp when I first got there. So there wasn't a lot of people and 
I ended up Vanderkoid took me in as an intake and uh, ended up mouthing off to uh, James Clemson and Vanderkoid ended up backhanding me and I ended up falling to the ground and that's when I knew I was in a lot of trouble. That's when I knew I was in a really bad place and then I got strip searched, which just that was the first time that had ever happened to me and uh, and then I you know uh, changed into some really tight jeans and like a uh, orange shirt like they had the boot camp people and started boot camp which is where we hauled telephone poles and trash and huge logs and we did that during work crew too but boot camp you did that all day with uh, two 45 minute PTs or physical training exercise sessions each day doing something physically taxing mentally taxing um, you know in Vanderkoy um, he started another school, Pilgrim's Rest, which was shut down, and now he's finally in trouble. He was an ex-marine, so so he's a he was he was literally a drill sergeant. He's in your face, screaming at you. Uh, we had us like in push-up position on hot pavement until we got blisters on our hands, that kind of thing, and just screaming in your face. Like, I mean, kids would puke and. Like uh, a couple of kids passed out during boot camp. So there's like that video of them kicking that kid that's in boot camp in the back or whatever. And he keeps falling over. And that was uh, Burton that did that. That area was the volleyball court. We called that the Vander Pit. And that video is, I think, from like a year before I was there or right after I got there. It's very, very close to around 2003-ish there. Uh, well, I took those reasons when I left, so 99 is when I got there. So I, I believe that that video is somewhere around that time, and uh, oof, I mean, it says it all. So it's been reported on by several news agencies. I think originally by Kansas City Star, possibly by the uh, Missouri Independent. Um, there's uh, a video of Burton. Yeah, kicking a kid in boot camp and assaulting a kid in boot camp, and um, it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to find. It's out there, um, but I don't know how they got the video to tell you the truth. But that's it looks authentic. It looks exactly like what I went through. So um, that is out there. There's actual video evidence of that abuse. And and in this uh, moment, you're touching on how the qualifications for someone to work in a place like this are zero. There's no background checks. Well, there was there was no background checks in Missouri until we passed a law. But it appears that the one of the, the, the Republican Rudy Rudy Viet that helped Senator Kerry Engel pass that bill is now retracting and passing a bill that will undo the background checks requirement. It's like we didn't make any progress. We've worked on this for years, so very frustrating. Um, the bill had loopholes in it anyway. I was very frustrated and kind of got boxed out of it. At one point, Carrie Engel negotiated with Heartland Bible, and they did an amendment that, that allowed for religious exemptions in there that, that basically just blew a big hole in it. It basically made it so that it was worthless. But yeah, so I objected that language in the bill. They, they didn't do anything, and it passed, and it's... It's really, we couldn't even shut down Agape with the bill. We had, we, we did that through starving them, starving them of funds. If any press are listening, Brett is the guy to talk to. Uh, Brett's the guy. 
I want to talk to you about Jim Clemenson, the owner running Agape. How was he able to open this school? He's clearly a sadist in the storytelling. The man uh, didn't have the best interest in mind, clearly profiting off of the work. So there's a structure that is not uh, benefiting the boys. It is profiting one guy and a few others are making minimum wage to work there. So how does he get, how does he open a school like this? How, how was he able to do that? Well, for one, thankfully, Jim is no longer with us. He passed away of cancer a few years ago, um, a day after my birthday. So it was like a late birthday present. Um, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's looking up from wherever he is down there. He did this for 30 years, 30 years. He started this in California and in Stockton, California, and ironically, and out of his living room. And then he uh, moved to Othello, Washington because California wasn't gonna have their stuff down there. He was saying, you know, we're gonna... So he went to Othello, Washington on an old military base and he subjected these kids to asbestos and to, uh, to no water on site. And he even admitted it in this uh, ceremony they had for Jim when he was fighting cancer his dedication to him and his fight against cancer. And he bragged about all the things they overcame, you know, with the help of the kids. And it's just horrifying. It's like they took them to a war zone basically and had them build from the ground up. And so I talked to a couple of kids that, well, they're adults now that were in there that have lung cancer. And they believe that it may have been from the asbestos. And so there's a lot there that, like, they got shut down. The EPA came in and said, what are you doing? They were brought before a court for child abuse, and Burton told a bunch of the kids to stay silent. Burton was the, uh, is the pastor, was the pastor there, and he said, stay silent or I'll beat you. And the kids said, it's worth it to speak up. And so they spoke up and they shut him down. That's quite the stand. And then they they decided to go to Missouri where nobody cared. And he's always been a religious guy. Yes, yes, he's he's a independent fundamental Baptist. So he's the, um, they're the fundamentalists, they're um, extremists. Um, you know, they believe that women have to wear dresses and men have to wear pants and men are in charge and all that sexist stuff. Um, and the extreme stuff about no, no sex before marriage, no, um, you know, just, just everything you can think of. You think of Quakers almost. <laughs> okay. So, and at this time in his school in Missouri, in his school in Missouri, where you were agape, where you were, you know, terrorized is the words I would use. They also invade your mind because you have to do religious doctrine it was, it was a constant thing. It was, you know, so like you would, when you uh, got up in the morning, there was something called quiet time after, so you'd have work crew and so it'd be a 30 minute work crew in the morning, usually hauling rocks or things like that. And then after that we would have a, so you had to work every day a little bit. Um, yeah, good morning, wake up. Well, we, yeah, so the way they'd wake us up is they'd beat on the metal bunk beds and scream at us like with bright white lights would come on. Yeah, and they'd, so like, it was like, 
I, I've been to jail since then, unfortunately, not for something I, I, the charges got dropped, but, but I got, you know, misidentified, but, but I, I mean, even in jail, they didn't wake us up like that. So, uh, I, I don't know. It was pretty intense. And then we went from there, you'd have like three minutes at the sinks and you'd have like two minutes to go pee or, you know, or whatever, like they timed you on everything. So you were always rushed and then they, uh, had quiet time for for 30 minutes and during quiet time you're not allowed to talk to anybody you're supposed to read your bible and uh that's it you're not allowed to do anything but read your bible and then um or you could sit there and just be quiet i guess but they they do frown on you they want you to read the bible and then um in your paces your ace curriculum which is all brainwashy and fascist and they have uh scripture that you memorize so you memorize scripture in in the uh you, you memorize scripture in the ace curriculum too so in your schoolwork, you have to have to memorize it and then there was chapel every night um and so we had it's like a church service every night your schoolwork um through the ace curriculum which has those like 12 12 paces or you know booklets per year and those are full with like cartoons have always brainwashy christian ideology stuff in there lots of false science like you know making calling liberals godless stuff like that you know um and so they make sure you're indoctrinated when i got to college i was like wow okay get got got because i went k through 12 in in christian schools so i got to college and i was like a different world you know um, <laughs> I had to relearn a bunch of history and like get a different perspective and like unbrainwash myself and like, was, yeah, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. <laughs> your story about your back is really amazing. Um, the neglect, the, the, uh, incestuous nature of the doctors who answered to Jim Clemens, um, when you were taken rarely to a clinic tell us please about how they broke your back systematically and neglected that yeah so um when i i grew really fast when i was younger so when i was 13 i was six two and i've not grown since but once i got into the boarding school uh, uh when i was about 16 so about two years after i got into the boarding school i started to have a lot of back pain and i, I started to complain to them about it but I would get yelled at when I would complain and told that I was making this up and, you know, all this stuff. And they did this to anybody that had any kind of medical problem. And, uh, like I watched one, one person almost die from, uh, their appendix bursting, you know, I mean, because they didn't take him in fast enough. Um, another kid had a dislocated shoulder and they thought he was faking it. So I got to watch him scream for like a couple hours before they finally took him in and found out that, yeah, his, his shoulder was dislocated. So, I mean, there was a lot of this kind of like medical neglect going on. Like, you know, where they didn't, they didn't want to take kids into the, the hospital because they didn't want them to wrap them out for abuse or for, you know, anything to get out, leak out from the school. And when they did take me, I, I would see Dr. Smock and Dr. Smock had married uh, the, he married the uh, daughter 
of Jim Clemenson, one of Jim Clemenson's daughters. And so um, he's married into the family. And what's really weird and kind of concerning is that this Dr. Smock guy was, um, he had a stepson that he was sleeping in the same bed with and stuff in California. And his wife at the time complained and then he didn't lose his medical license right away, but he left California with what appears to be the Clemensons. He appears to have come from there to, uh, to Stockton and he started his own practice there. And I think that they gave him a lot of business and helped him get established there and get out of trouble uh, where he was. He had been in trouble in Arizona before that too, for a separate incident. So he's in trouble in two states for child abuse, three because of Missouri. And uh, I remember telling him, uh, trying to tell him about my back when my finger got sliced open from a grill scraper and I had to have some stitches and I tried to tell him about my, my back and how it was hurting and like, they weren't letting me see anybody about it. And I was really concerned about it. And he told me just to shut up if I knew it was good for me. And I, I'll never forget that moment. Like I just realized I was that these people had tentacles out into the community and that I wasn't even safe in town in this clinic. It seems so similar to the situation of your father knowing the whole police department. It's like you're surrounded. Yes. You don't have anywhere to turn. And they would tell us that. They would say, you could scream, you know, he's going to hear you kind of thing. They would tell us that uh, that we could complain to anybody we want and, and it won't matter. And, of course, like our phone calls were monitored, our letters home were monitored. So if you tried to tell anybody what was going on, you were, you were in trouble. And I, a couple kids did get beat for that. You know what I mean? The paddle or just beat and put on a wall for a long time. So you didn't do that. Um, and then that was one of the things we tried to pass. We passed in that bill that they that they couldn't monitor the phone calls. And I think they're, they might be undoing that or I don't know. The, Missouri is like now the public schools, they're trying to bring the paddle back into the public schools. I mean, they're like, it's, it's getting bad. The neglect really adds to the abuse. I mean, it's not only abuse because the hard physical labor, but then the doctors won't service you. It's like, well, if you're going to keep a slave alive, you got to service them. So I would work in the kitchen sometimes. One of the guys that, that, uh, Blake, we called him brother and their last name, brother Blake. Uh, he was the, uh, the choir leader and I did ensemble and traveling ensemble with him and he, he liked me, but he would he would hire me into the kitchen so I could do that for work crew instead of out outside work because I would I because he I think he believed me about my back, um, but you know he didn't have a lot of authority or control over things so he would try to hire me on but but then he would fire me and he would always tease me about how like he loves to hire me but you know, then I always screwed up. And so like, I don't know if that was like a way for him to like get it, get his jollies off messing with me or if it was an actual life. There was that. So I, I tried to work in the kitchen, which was hard work, but it wasn't as backbreaking. The lifting was we built whole houses and things there that contractors should have been doing. It's really well done in your book. Um, these people never hired any contractors. They get the kids on premise to do all repairs and building. Things that are not, <laughs> you're not trained for. Mm -hmm. Or they would have a contractor there to tell us how to do it. 
So they'd have like a guy come in. We were always the hard labor. Staff are made to work too, like lower level staff, and they aren't treated well either. They they are basically trafficked. They aren't allowed to work off the site or go, you know, like, so uh, there was a staff member, uh, there was a couple that moved there. They ended up speaking out about Agape. Um, and that they were going to bring them on as a pastor. And yeah, you just, they didn't, they didn't like what they saw to keep them from leaving right away. They, they wouldn't allow, uh, the wife to work, uh, a job, uh, because they, they claimed it, you know, for religious, religious reasons, but really they didn't want her to make any kind of income because they didn't want them to leave. And, uh, they, they pay everybody minimum wage or less. I think some of them are probably not even getting paid minimum wage, but, but I mean, it's closed now. It's now stone of help. It's this new group home that they rebranded into. Um, but, but Agape boarding school is officially closed. Uh, but yeah, so they, uh, they continued doing this. The only way we were able to, to close them down was just keep exposing them in the media and social media and on Google reviews and on Yelp and on, you know, reaching out to parents directly on podcasts and reliving all those memories like a million times. We had to do that for like four years solid. Um, and we did a great job. Kansas city star did a great job of covering it. Other people did too. And and I think that that, I mean, obviously, uh, Brian, Jim's son, who's the survivor, the, uh, the heir, um, he, he was running it. And, you know, he even said that they couldn't get enough boys to make the overhead. That's why they closed. So I'm pretty proud of that. We didn't, the government didn't shut them down. So we did, you know, and like, that's a pretty... Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's something like so if the corruption is bad enough, then you have to you have to hit them in their wallet. And, you know, they've got some uh, civil lawsuits going on, but like you can also do it through their credibility. There was there was one woman that spoke up and she was threatened her and her autistic uh, brother who worked at the grocery store and they, they started like camping outside her house and threatening her and like, and her brother and like, it's a, it's a real village situation. It's really creepy. Like they were getting free labor from Agape. So we'd go out and do free labor projects on farms, and, like lands around there, like cleaning up after the tornado that hit we survived a tornado there i talked about that um other things like you know and so they got free labor and so it got worse apparently after i left and uh they were helping people move and stuff and all this other stuff and um and so everybody's bought off and so they told this lady that spoke up well well don't you need them to help you like get your groceries sometime or move and she's like no i don't and she said well, well what about all the jobs that they've got there well, if you take it, take those jobs away from people in the community, like what will they do for work? So see, people knew. And when the prosecutor, Ty Gaither, was corrupt and going out and blatantly saying he wasn't going to prosecute these crimes, you know, um, 
he and then taking it from the AG and all the things that he did that were just obviously corrupt that we we complained about, right? Um, the the prosecutor uh, he didn't he didn't charge hardly anybody, but you know what? We tried to we tried to get somebody to run against him, and the people there in the local area still voted tie back in. And so you know that that told me is that maybe they don't care what's happening in their own backyard. That uh, feeling of like you can't because they would tell us you, know, you can't run away and, and people would try to run away. And there's all farmland around it and people would come back. They'd be caught and come back. Few few of them made it to California and, you know, or whatever. But but yeah, that, that was kind of the idea is that you're in the middle of nowhere and you don't have many friends or any. Podcast.com for more. You know, uh, Europe was colonized, and as Europe was colonized, this happened in Europe too, where, you know, indigenous kids were put into boarding schools and were assimilated into culture. And then it happened in South America and up into the Americas. Um, it happened in Canada, it happened in Australia. So anywhere where people colonized and came over from um, and colonized these lands where these indigenous tribes were, we ended up having Catholic, Baptist, Mormon schools, and it kind of changes throughout history, but it's mostly kind of a Christian um, persuasion or religious schools that did this. So what they did is the government in the U.S., as far as the U.S. is concerned, contracted these Catholic, mostly Catholic boarding schools in the U.S. Um, and and they went and got these indigenous teens from the parents, took them to the school, and then stripped them of their language, their uh, culture. Um, they weren't allowed to really uh, communicate back home. A lot of these parents did, never saw their kid again, or maybe saw their kid grown up or later. And then the idea was to kind of force Christian, fascist, white Jesus kind of, as we call it, uh, norms onto these indigenous people. And, and, you know, we see this in the Crusades, right? We see it in Europe where the colonizers, you know, in the Crusades and stuff, how they would take over lands and they would force their, they would replace pagan rituals and holidays with uh Christian ones and and so this is just kind of repeating itself throughout history and then when I look at the you know the indigenous schools we have a lot we haven't discovered there unmarked graves and things uh, I see a lot of similarities in the way that they brainwash teens and assimilate them into society with the troubled teen industry today with residential boarding schools with, with boarding schools today there aren't we aren't plucking, you know, indigenous kids off of, uh, you know, off of reservations, I don't think today. Uh, but there are still remnants of this brainwashing that goes on in our public schools. Um, and unfortunately, now with all the book banning and book burning and everything else we've got going on, uh, we're really just kind of 
in a situation where history is repeating itself and um, unfortunately not really learning any lessons from it. Um, I, I go into it a little bit more in the new book, um, but uh, you know, there's some different facts. You know, Christianity has, you know, of course, Catholics and Protestants don't get along or haven't for, you know, they don't always get along um, for centuries. Yeah. And so uh, there was a group called the Know Nothings that were here in the United States that were really anti immigrant and anti Catholic and anti Irish. And uh, they are very close to your mega Republicans in a lot of ways, right? And um, they hated anybody that was, you know, not Christian and not up to their standards. And and then when you ask them about certain positions, they would play ignorant. They would be like, I know nothing. Right. And so there's a lot of like similarities to these people. Right. And and they thought the Catholics were going to try and take over the United States. Right. And part of that was rooted in these uh, the United States government working with with Catholic boarding schools and then sending these kids into, so they saw this and thought, well, they're trying to brainwash everybody to be Catholic. And so there was this pushback from them. So I almost think that they just kind of copied them because where I went to school is, was a Baptist school, <laughs> but they had a lot of the same. If you look in the to residential indigenous schools, the hard labor, the beatings, the paddle, the, all of those things are very similar. Um, I think they even put people on the wall and made them stare at the wall, if I remember correctly. So there's some punishments that, uh, you know, uh, Synanon, when they created Synanon, Charles uh, Dietrich, I believe is his name, um, he uh, hired a woman that worked at a residential boarding school. I can't remember her name right now. It's in the book. How do you, how do you, punish these these kids and how can i or you know how do you do how do you do your discipline and and so i got got some ideas from there so uh it it's frustrating a little bit when you see people like uh paris hilton and them who, who kind of ignore that side of it uh well not kind of but they do and and some people say that go so far as to say that residential indigenous schools you know weren't a form of the troubled teen industry or that uh christian troubled teen industry is not really part of the troubled teen industry. It's just the rehab centers, but I don't think so. I consider the troubled teen industry to be any abusive youth incarceration environment where they're trying to assimilate the teen or force their doctrine on them, indoctrinate them. I was speaking with um, Dr. Clint Haycock from the mind shift podcast he's exploring dominion theology and how you know he's an ex-pastor in christianity and he is exploring not only christianity um through the started through the documentary the family which shows um where they're indoctrinating and breeding future leaders who will align with the Christian beliefs and the Catholic version of it appears to be called Opus Dei, D-E-I. One of the points in your book that really stood out to me, the incestuous nature of this locked in society that people don't tend to get out of, the hiring of kids from, you know, uh, kids who grow, grew up in these um, troubled teen institutions then could be hired to staff 
possibly marrying another boy or girl who was also in a home, indoctrinated. They're literally breeding compliant new members. It's a trafficking situation. I don't know if people realize that Agape, so Agape had, um, was all boys, but then Agape uh, started to try to do a girl's thing for a second. And then they, they shut it down, but they ended up doing a girl's school next to it. It was the Refuge of Grace. Um, and if anybody that, that really, you know, studied this could see how it, they could easily, like you said, pair up someone from one institution that wanted to work for them with someone from another and then breed families of servants, essentially. And, you know, what they did do with these kids when they tried to groom me into staying is they do, they, uh, Brian tried to get hook me up with Melody at one point or tried to say that maybe she would like me if I stuck around and I thought she was cute. You know, I was a teenager, not really supposed to look at the staff girls, but, uh, that, and I was about to leave. And, and so they do this, they do this, they hook up their daughters with people. There's a Anna Cleveland slept with someone, that was uh, uh, underage in the freezer in the kitchen a few times and people knew about it. Nobody did anything about it. There's people that have um, uh, married uh, a couple of, there's, let's see here. There's one woman there that one of the Cleveland's Anna. Yeah. She's married more than one of the students that have graduated there. So I mean, we've been with more than one of the students because that second student. So, I mean, like you think about it, like that's just really disgusting. Um, and, and nobody's doing anything about it. So. Now let's talk about your activism, which is incredible. Um, you've been doing legal stuff. You've been doing uh, press stuff. Tell us about, the impact you were able to have so far on the laws and perhaps the press. You have an, a sympathetic ear from a local to Agape uh, press, the Kansas City Star, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that must feel pretty good just to have someone getting that info out. How's this going and what are your what's your overview? How are you approaching this? And I know you've had some great success, so. Yeah, I mean, so Agape is officially shut down, right? But there's Stone of Hope, which is a group home, which is started by the uh, football coach. And it's 0.2 miles away. So it's literally the next door neighbor. They rebranded. So they're, they're being a group home. So they're not completely gone. And unfortunately, there is some, I wasn't really, uh, I was kind of boxed out of the legislation by Amanda Householder and her group. Um, and okay. Yeah. I mean, like, and so I really wanted to make sure that the religious loopholes were covered in the bill. They weren't, they weren't written into the bill. And uh, so I, I guess I was painted as being too aggressive, too crazy to deal with gaslit like that because of my CPTSD and my, my bombastic tone sometimes. Um, but, but, you know, in actuality, I had gotten quite a few of these young men to, to come forward, to speak to the Kansas city star, like you mentioned, and to, yeah, like 14 or so of them. And, 
And, and, you know, Amanda got some people to come forward too. So I think all in all, we had some 20, 30 people that had come forward. And so, you know, these articles kept coming out and we kept them coming out every couple of weeks. And we, we and we, we talked to Laura and, and some other, you know, the uh, Judy, I believe was the other um, writer, the author there for a lot of the uh, Kansas City Star articles. And then slowly other people picked it up. Now, I got to tell you, before the Kansas City Star picked it up, there was a lot of years of us just trying to get anybody to talk about this. And we would call the cops, the Cedar County Sheriff's Department, and they would just blow us off. We would call the Children's Department, they'd blow us off. We'd call the AG, they'd blow us off. We'd call the Governor's Office, they'd blow us off. We'd call the newspapers, they didn't cover it. It took a lot of work to get people to take us seriously. And really the only way we could get people to do anything at all um, was to get it into the press enough where we're basically browbeating them into doing something. My question to you is, is there some paid shills coming after you? Because who else would have the motivation to deplatform or try to gaslight you? Well, so with Amanda, there's a whole thing there was a group, alumni group, um, and Agape Boys, and I was in it. And uh, it, we were um, talking, and this guy started using the some derogatory terms to talk about his fiance. He was calling her a, a sand end and stuff. I won't repeat that. Um, and I told him he can't say stuff like that. And I got attacked by some of the students saying, well, he's just brainwashing the boarding school. It's okay. And I was like, no, it's, I was like, no, that's, it's not okay. And somebody has to let him know it's not okay, even if he is brainwashed. And then he started calling me an N-word a bunch. And then I said, look, dude, I'm like, I'm obviously white. I don't know what you're trying to do here. And then uh, it became this big mess where like, I guess he's like half black. So he was like, I can use that word. And but it was pretty obvious that he wasn't using it in a very, uh, it, it was using it in a derogatory sense. He shouldn't be using it. And, and he was talking about somebody that wasn't there. And so I told his fiance, I just went and told his fiance, I said, this is how he talks about you and your family when you're not around. And, uh, because, you know, I felt like she deserved to know, and I, I don't like to meddle in people's business. So I blocked both of them immediately. Cause I, I'm not, I'm not trying to be in, I'm not trying to get with his girl or anything. And so I blocked them both, but then everybody came after me. They kicked me out of the group. Amanda kicked me out of the group. Uh, I've been really pushing a lot of the guys hard to come forward. And some of them were pretty irritated. Maybe I pushed some of them a little too hard. Um, and so I think that some of them were ready to find a reason to be mad at me, to be honest. <laughs> and I think that Amanda gave them that reason. And then they, they plunge and, for a while there, for like two years, it was like the Exposing Agape Facebook page and, and Twitter page. I was constantly getting harassed by people and out of out of context screenshots, people saying I hate Christians, I hate women, all this weird stuff. The thing that hurt was that they're ex-students of Agape. And okay, so Sean Markley is married to a former staff daughter. So there is that. Um, but that that happened later that after he left the school, but it's still weird. Um, 
he has spoken up, but but at first he was he was what it is is it's toxic masculinity or stigma. I Amanda is really good at manipulating people like her dad. Her dad is Boyd Householder that ran uh, Circle of Hope. So I don't know, like she she does talk, she has done a lot of work to try and expose Circle of Hope and expose uh, her dad's stuff and her mom's stuff, and that's hard work. And so I will give her that. But there is some stuff like she's suing Agape and Circle of Hope. She she was a student at Agape, but I don't know, you know what I mean? And she's doing that federally, and so there there are different things she uh, you know. Uh, smeared had people smear me uh she and a couple people smeared me to an uh the author of the rolling stones article that came out and i found out about it and i noticed that i was like one of the only ones that had been out that wasn't noticed or talked about in there and so i knew that something was up because they i'd had them tease me about not including me in the legislation anymore and you know all this other stuff. So I knew that they were going around talking to lawmakers, talking to, and I heard some of the stuff back. I think it's, I think it's, it's the, it's a flying monkey scenario. So you have a narcissistic abuser who grew up with a narcissistic parent who is abusive and they've learned these tactics and they're almost subconscious at this point. I don't think that she even knows what she's doing sometimes. And I think that unfortunately agape boys are susceptible because they grew up with this kind of abuse. And so they are easily manipulated by it. And so I think that it's, it's just sort of a trap that they've fallen into. Now, later, some of them apologize. I trust is really broken down. My hope was that when I posted, when I had written my book and really fought hard against Agape, you'd think that they would rally behind you or with you. And so that was really frustrating that that wasn't the case now. And every time I tried to go do something like, well, I don't necessarily want to be the leader. Here's what I was, but she, she definitely wanted to be the leader. Yeah. I, I just wanted, like, there were times where I said, I think this is what we should do. And it was, I think we should do this. It wasn't like we had to do it, but every time I come up with an idea, like let's go to the FBI, she would mock it to the other guys and then they would, they would mock it. So it was almost like I was constantly getting my toes stepped on while I'm trying to go through this process. And I did feel like it was obstructionary. I did not start the group, uh, but you know, and I, and to be fair, I joined it after her because I was, I didn't know it existed. You're listening to The Frankie Files, frankiefilespodcast.com. I think my main opposition to her running the group was it was a group for Agape uh, alumni, not, you know what I mean? And she was a staff daughter. So she was there at Agape, but she was not, it wasn't the same experience for her. She wasn't, she wasn't a child slave. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like the friendly fire scenario is happening in every single cult, in every single TTI circle that's speaking out, someone is attacking the good people amongst themselves. Because like you said, you guys were actually pitted to fight each other in the school. It was like normal. Yeah, no, it was, it was a very normal thing. And so it's, so it's, uh, the it's, and we weren't allowed to, uh, really have friends or talk without staff or, you know, or bond. So, so it's really, it's a particular line of attack that we are 
susceptible to and and that and that i think is why she was so successful in being able to stir up trouble there for me i mean fbi has been to my house to try and shut me up the well definitely go into that in the new book a little bit more but uh there's because there's a friendly fire chapter in there too (laughs) so uh because more of that has happened um but basically some people um, from Paris Hilton's group, uh, from Breaking Code Silence, decide, from one of the factions. There's two now. There's two factions of Breaking Code Silence now. It's split in half and it's suing itself, which is great. Uh, yeah. So they took money from everybody and they could have been used to fight the troubled teen industry, and they're suing each other over a name. Um, but the three of these women just decided that they were going to report some of my tweets to the FBI. And my tweets were about leading a uh, protest outside of Agape because I was furious that they were, there was so much corruption, which I go into a little bit, but there was so much corruption, we couldn't get Agape shut down. And, uh, and so at this, I was ready to lead a protest there and 3% militia threatened me and um, started following me on Twitter. And then some people sent some veiled threats saying that the governor was passing a law so that he could have the National Guard protect private property. And it was basically, I was basically told that this was because of what I was doing and other people were threatening to do protests. And now we see actually there's 15 states where this is happening in now where governors are moving to make their National Guard. Yeah, we're on the cusp of some bad stuff. Florida is trying to do the same thing. He's basically wants a private army to put down protesters. So uh, we, we, this is getting worse, but, um, and so I decided to back off, but before I could back off, I said, well, if I do go protest, I don't own a gun, but you know, perhaps I will have, some people will have guns there and I don't, I'm not opposed to people coming armed because of the threats. Uh, And right. And I said, we're not going to start anything, but, I think it would be stupid to tell everybody to come unarmed if and not tell people about this threat that we have. Um, and so that apparently they said that I was an Antifa terrorist. I was suicidal, homicidal, that I was going to burn the school down. And so, yeah, so they, they got so first first they, they reported this to the to the cops. The cops got a hold of me and I said, look, I'm not going to burn the school down. And then they reported it to uh, the FBI, and then the the, uh, the FBI came and visited me, two officers, and that was a little bit unnerving. And I was like, "Hey, look, I'm not doing anything wrong." And then they they called me and texted me a couple of times and harassed me further. And I told him, "Look, if you don't stop messing with me, I'm going to get a lawyer and I'm going to sue you." And because basically they were like questioning, they got to the point where they're kind of like questioning all of my tweets. And I'm like, look, this is freedom of speech. You need to get out of my, you know, out of my face. And so, and what they, I think they were doing is I think I got a little too close to them because they didn't do anything about Agape and they didn't do anything about, and, and they were let known about Agape. And so I think that they, it was a personal vendetta kind of, and I, and they, uh, and I think that, uh, I think Breaking Code Silence used that against me. They also sent a cop to my house the last time. And the last time was supposed to be a SWAT type thing. 
where I was considered a terror threat and they were supposed to look for weapons. And uh, the, they only they, they had more cops out in the parking lot, but the one cop came out and approached the door. And uh, when he got inside, I let him know he's on camera and he became very nervous. And he was like, I know you're an activist and you have a lot of followers. Like, please don't put this out anywhere. I have a family and kids. And I'm like, I'm not a terrorist. I, what did they tell you? And then I heard what I was, you know, they said that you are this Antifa terrorist guy. And so, I mean, like, they and then they tried to tell everybody, well, we just said he's suicidal. And so we wanted to do a wellness call. That's not what they did. And even if even if that's the case, like you gotta be really careful with that these days, especially with someone like me who has PTSD, like you could kill me. They're just embarrassed that they haven't handled this properly in 90% of the cases. Well, I mean, when you talk about systemic programming and indoctrination of teens in religious groups that aren't monitored by the government. A lot of, a lot of material here to, to conjecture on. It's pretty bad. One of the connections might be Betsy DeVos, the voucher school program, the way they're trying to, uh, which I do go more into the new book, um, replace public schools. Um, but, but, but one of the things is, did you know that Betsy DeVos's brother was the owner of Blackwater? Spare the rod, spoil the child is a Bible verse that is often misused to pretty much um, do everything they do to you guys. Could you articulate that? Yeah, the reason why I called it spare the rod and, and kind of like retook that, that phrase back is because if you look in the original Greek and Hebrew for the actual verse where they take that from, uh, it says to uh, tramp a child in the way that he should go, and and when he's older, he will not depart from it. And there's another verse that says that um, that if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Right? But it says the and it says the rod of correction. Um, when it says the rod of correction in the Bible, um, it means uh, the instruction. So it's telling you to uh, correct your child. Don't be afraid to correct your child when, you're, when your child is wrong. It's not saying to, like an actual rod. It's, it's, a, it's a, a metaphor and it, it's, it's a parable and, and it's in a part of the Bible full of parables. So it should be obvious that it's not a literal meaning, but it got lost in translation, I guess. And people use it as like to justify all kinds of heavy handed authoritarian tactics to uh, get children to do what they want. And the problem is that fear-based tactics, authoritarian tactics like that, only work for as long as you can subject the victim to the fear, right? So if the kid becomes 18, now all of a sudden dad can't beat him when he does this. So, you know, what's the first thing he's going to do? The thing he couldn't do, right? So I like to say that people are... Well, that too, that, but, but I mean, like all those things that, that we were told as kids not to do, like one of the first things I did when I was an adult was dye my hair and pierce my ears, right? People have a tendency to, they're like rubber bands. If you pull us one way, we're going to snap back the other. And so I don't think people understand the consequences. Every 
action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? It's just the way the world works. And so the better way to do this, instead of trying to use fear to force people to be the way you want, is to instruct or teach them. We do this because if we don't, this might happen. We don't do this because if we do this, this will happen. And incentivize and decentivize things instead of trying to use physical punishments, things that honestly don't work. Not uh, They're taught um, what to think, not how to think. And that's a big part of the problem. You know, parents want the kid to be what they weren't, right? Get that job they never got. Marry that person they never married. Make that money they never were able to make. You know what I mean? And and some of that's healthy because the parent wants the best for their kid, but a lot of it's actually really selfish and the parent just trying to live their life through their kid. You're a legend. Thank you. I, I don't know how to respond to that, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you for giving us this type of information. It's a prison and it goes on for years without doctor care, even in your case, as you explained to us, the long-term effects. What can we, as citizens who didn't know a damn thing about this, but do now, what can we do, Brett? How can we help you? So what we need to do is we need to immediately work towards uh, banning transports of teens out of their home states. So if you are a teen and you need to get psychiatric help or you need to get help and they it's determined you need to go to some program or something, we should at least make it so that that program has to be in your home state. And what that will do is that will immediately stop all of this exporting of kids from more liberal states that don't allow the kind of harsh labor punishments and abuse to go as unregulated. There's still bad programs in Oregon and, and California and Washington, but it's not like Missouri or Florida or, you know, Kentucky. And so what we need to do is we need to stop, stop the flow of teens into these programs in these red states and that will that will affect them financially and hopefully help shut them down and then we need to work towards making a national legislation that says that kids have a bill of rights that they uh there's certain because kids don't have rights really not not nationally um there's some rights in some states and it's really not very good like you know we got we got child abuse law. We only got child abuse law from animal abuse law, which is a really interesting story. But 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 basically, people said you can abuse an animal this way and get in trouble for it, but you can abuse a kid and not get in trouble for it. So we should probably make laws. Yeah. So I mean, like that's how low on the totem pole kids are, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, so that's a whole nother. But yeah, so we need to do that. And the other thing we need to do is we need uh, to make sure that in this national legislation, this Bill of Rights, that there's no loopholes, that there's no religious outs. There's no, well, I'm a religious person, so I don't have to do this. We can't we can't let them do that anymore. Parents do, too, which is kind of traumatizing, is they sign 
uh, yeah, kind of. They sign, uh, like my parents signed off my custody to the transport agents. So they signed temporary custody over to them, and then the custody is transferred over to the school. So you definitely feel like a piece of property. Right, because they tossed you on a plane and took you from Oregon to Missouri, and that was the end of whatever rights you had in Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. You're now under Missouri law. And kids die. Kids die, too. We lost one in Utah recently, so people need to... There's a list of them out there, too, that they can find. It's a big RICO act. A lot of these uh, people in Missouri or Hawley got money from Agape people and, you know, Senator Hawley. And so, I mean, I, I, I see where if you follow the money, you can see that it's that's what it's all about, really, yeah. It's only through the strength of survivors that people will really get the story. A lot of people want to change the story of a survivor. And guys, you've got to read his book. Brett, thank you for taking the time to talk to us and give us the real scoop on what's happening. You know, when someone is taken away from their home and indoctrinated by religion, beaten, defied medical care, there's just no excuse. And and it's happened to millions because of the lack of care. And then the cover-up of the abuse goes hand in hand with not getting care because it'll be reported and they'll get shut down. And ultimately it's all about the money. I feel like there's two types of people in closing. There's the people that say, I went through it, so you have to. And there's the people that say, I went through it, so I hope you never have to. And I'm number two, as we both are. <laughs> yes. We are both of kind and of say, we went through it. We don't want you to have to go through it. And those are the best type of people. You know what I mean? Like, but there are those people out there that, that are the opposite. You gotta look out for them. That, that means they, they got conquered if they feel that way. Tell us where to find you online. Yeah, you can find my website at www.sparetherodnp.com. That's sparetherodnp for not-for-profit.com, so np.com. And then I'm going to, uh, and then, of course, I'm on uh, Twitter. I'm very active on Twitter at, at sparetherodhq. Um, and then I'm on uh, Facebook and TikTok as well. You can Google me and find me. Spare the Rod is on Kindle. Spare the Rod, um, the original book. And then, of course, Spare the Rod, The War is Raging On. Brett, um, can you tell us, um, besides being an author, what else you do so people can check that out? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I DJ a little bit. But I'm pretty much retired. I, I do produce a little bit of music. Uh, killerspacebunny.com is my website killerspacebunny.com or you can find me at uh, killerspacebunny on soundcloud mixcloud um you know facebook twitter um and uh yeah just google killerspacebunny i'm in portland oregon and you'll find a bunch of dubstep dnb rhythm trap yeah thanks if you're feeling down and no one's there to actually talk to, there is someone to talk to. Call the Suicide Prevention Hotline anytime. This will pass. Please know that many of us have survived these thoughts. 
Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255 anytime, day or night. There's a friendly person there that can remind you to value the life you have and that this too shall pass. Again, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255, 800-273-8255 or search online National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Cults, coercion, and sexuality in society. These are the topics for the Frankie Files. I'm Frankie Tease, your host, and I'll continue to focus on my own family story as well as news and recovery info for those who've survived, especially the adult children of cults. New each Tuesday. See FrankieFilesPodcast.com for more.